out there listening on shortwave on wbcq uh this is amateur radio roundtable a show about ham radio we're going to start in may at about 25 minutes uh and if you're listening out there on a podcast you're probably hearing music for the first uh, 30 minutes uh, the reason being we have a two-hour time slot on shortwave and usually our show only lasts about an hour and a half so um we usually leave the uh 30 minutes of music up front uh, before we, uh, you know, start the show as we do our pre-show setup. So if you're out there listening on a podcast, just please, if you don't want to hear the music, just please um, fast forward to about 30 minutes in and uh, you'll pick the show up there. Again, Amateur Radio Roundtable on WBCQ on 7490 kilohertz coming to you out of Monticello, Maine.
Hey, guys, if you're out there listening on WBCQ, you are tuned in to Amateur Radio Roundtable. It's a show about ham radio, and we're on here every Tuesday. If you're listening on shortwave, you're listening on Thursday. But anyway, we're glad to have you. I uh, hope you enjoy the music. The show will start in about in about 10 minutes uh, on the hour at 8 p.m. Central Time. So I uh, just wanted to let you know, and if you're lis- listening out here on a podcast and Hey, you don't like the 30 minutes of music up front, uh, just fast forward in. The show starts about 30 minutes in. Uh, we do that because we have a two-hour slot on shortwave, and our show usually lasts about an hour and a half, so we usually just put the uh, 30 minutes of music up on shortwave with our show. So uh, hopefully it doesn't bother anybody. And, uh, hey, we've got a great show tonight, so stay tuned. Should be working. Test one, two, three, four. I'm here.
Hated to cut off wider shade of pale. I love that song oh, for man. some reason. Yeah, I don't know. That's, well, that's just our song, man. That's just that's just a song from yeah. Hey, memories, man. Yeah, we had the best music back then. Yeah, it was. It was good back then, man. Wider shade of pale. Gee, hey, welcome everybody out there. This is Amateur Radio Roundtable, and uh, I'm Tom W5KUB. Hey, you notice I'm in a different uniform tonight. Hey, we're going to honor our uh, veterans tonight for uh, Veterans Day. You can see I've got my Air Force hat on right here. Let's see, we've got a lot. we got Brett on here. He's going to talk about some ham sticks and some things he's doing. And uh, I want to talk to you a little about a curb tracer project that we built up. 
I've got a short video on uh, our KU band uh, satellite first attempt to receive uh, signals uh, and maybe an update on uh, 113 which has been flying now for 395 days so we got a lot going on there by so just uh, stand by and uh, we'll, uh, we'll we're gonna have some fun tonight Okay, hey, again, welcome to Amateur Radio Roundtable, and we're so glad to have you out there, especially if you're listening on WBCQ on a shortwave. Uh, we're on 7490. Yeah, we're on 7490 up there, coming out of Monticello, Maine, on uh, WBCQ. This is a world-famous uh, uh, station up there, Free, free Speech. Uh, they've been around a long time, and... Uh, um, I hope you've got a, a good signal there. Uh, we're not, we're on a transmitter. It's not really, just really high power. It's probably 50,000 watt. That may be high power for ham radio, but not for, uh, not for shortwave, but still. We're on shortwave. We've been on shortwave now for years and years. So, uh, again, hey, if you're out there listening, send us an email to tom at w5kub, tom at w5kub.com. Also, uh, hey, for all you guys that tuned in there, um, let's see. Hey, hit that subscribe button. There it is down there in that bottom corner right there. I'm, I'm helping you out here, guys. I can't, I can't press it for you, but uh, I can sure show you where it is. So uh, press that button right there and, and, and subscribe. Hey, join our Facebook group. We've got a great Facebook group. We've got 14,000 members in it. I don't know why we can't quite get over above 14,000. One of our admin, he deleted like 138 people the other day. Maybe that's the reason we're not going to pass. Uh, but uh, he was deleting, I think, some spammers and a few people that got in here. But uh, uh, we have almost no problems at all with spammers on our, our Facebook group. It's a great place. So get on there and uh, get on there and join us. Uh, and, uh, hey, we're on nearly every podcast out there from uh, iTunes to um, iNet Radio, Google Play. They're, we're out there everywhere, so you can find our show and listen to it anytime you want to. Ah, excuse me, I had a cough coming up. Hey guys, you may, you may look at me and say there's something different about Tom tonight. Guys, I'm not wearing glasses anymore. And I just, I want to tell you just a quick story. You know, uh, we've got a pretty large neighborhood here. And uh, there was a dog in our neighborhood. Actually, he was, I don't know, he was a few hundred yards down the road uh, today. And he was crossing the road. And I was out in my truck and this dog crossed the road again, a couple hundred, couple hundred, uh, you know, yards in front of me. And I actually saw a freckle on a flea that was on that dog. 
That's how well, that's how well these eyes are doing, guys. I mean, hey, I wore glasses for like 35 years, and uh, uh, hey, I can't wear them anymore. I don't need them. And uh, you know, I won't talk too much about it, but man, I'm seeing small. I'm seeing far. I'm seeing colors that I've never really. I mean, blue is really blue now. Blue used to be kind of washed out, you know, blue, but man, it is blue now. And yeah. guess what? All those computer monitors I thought were going bad because they were getting dim and grungy looking, they look brand new now. I mean, you know, the, the screens are, are perfect. Man, wow. Okay, that's enough on that. All right, where were we? Okay, hey, uh, tonight, uh, let's do this first. Let's go into our uh, uh, veteran pictures. Hey, if you didn't get your picture in for the veteran pictures we're going to show tonight, you may have time. You probably got four or five minutes. If you just go to our Facebook group, W5KUB on Facebook, and please post your picture under the veteran pictures. And if you get in here and do it right now, you'll see it on the show tonight. So I'm going to pull them up, and we're going to look at them. Some of the people are uh, people that we, we see each year, but that's still okay. And uh, we may have a few new ones in here. Uh, you know, we have new members join us all the time, and uh, we probably have some new vets in here. So let me see if I can bring these up here, and uh, we're going to see if we can, we're going to see who they are. So, here we go. Well, there we go. There we go. The, I, I, I let it off here, the first one. That, that's, that's me right there. That's me back in about 1971, I guess, 1970, 1971. Boy, that was last century. United States Air Force, I was in the uh, fourth mob. And then, uh, then after that, I went overseas uh, and uh, it was in the security service where we, uh, uh, I guess it's okay now because it's been 100 years uh, our job was uh, spying on North Korea and China, and uh, we actually flew a drone over the uh, Yellow Sea out there uh, and collected a lot of information, and uh, uh, it was kind of kind of a fun job there. And we had a lot of people sitting there uh, listening. We had listening posts, and uh, uh, we had a whole row of uh, R390 receivers there, and there was a typewriter in front of everybody, and uh, everybody out there could speak uh they could speak, uh, uh, you know, the local language, and uh, they would listen, and they would type what they hear. So, you know, we got that kind of stuff going on today, you know. Uh, but it was probably crude back then, but, hey, that's the way it was back then, and I was a part of it back then. All right, let's see what else we got here. Uh, let's see. Hey, here's Dave uh, Sheldon. Uh, Dave, he's been in here before, 1973 to, to 75, Fort Bragg, 508th Parachute. Infantry Regiment, 82nd Airborne. Uh, yeah, he was he was younger then. Uh, I've got a friend here at church that uh, was in the, I think he was in the 101st Airborne, and uh, uh, after college uh, he went straight to uh, Vietnam. But uh, he uh, he said the first the first time he ever rode in an airplane he had to jump out of it, and uh, I guess that was probably kind of kind of cool there. Dave Sheldon here, man. Hey, I salute you for jumping out of airplanes. I don't think I could do that, man. Uh, you know, don't think I could do it. Uh, let's see. What else we got here? Let's see. Okay, Peter Dolry. 
Here's Peter Daltrey. Uh, he looks young here. Uh, KC1HHO. Uh, he said he's waving to the sunbathers and surfers from his SH3D Sea King. I don't know what that is exactly. I guess it's an airplane. Uh, HS74. I guess that's Naval Air Station, South Wilmot, early 80s. Okay, well, thank you, uh, Peter, for sending that in. And uh, let's see. Oh, Clifton says he was three back then. Oh, man, Clifton, you're a kid. You're a, you're a youngin', man. Let's see who else we got here. Well, you know, here's a, here's a, uh, here's a note from uh, Colin. He's from Down Under. He, he watches the show all the time. And uh, down there, it's called Remembrance Day in Australia. It marks the anniversary of the armistice that ended fighting in World War uh, I. And every year at the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, uh, millions around the world pause in silence to remember the sacrifices that uh, uh, many have made. So we can enjoy life. And that was from Colin here, uh, VK5COL. I thought we had more than this. Let me see if I'm missing somebody here. Um, let's see. Let me just click on that and see if I've got everybody. There's me. There's Dave. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Here's some more. Here's Terry. Terry uh, Statter or Stater. Uh, K-A-8-S-P-C. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, ETR2 back then. I'm not sure what ETR2, maybe maybe electronic technician something. I don't know. I don't think that's a rank. I'm not sure what that is. Anybody tell me what ETR2 is? Anyway, about 1974, South China Sea, West Pacific, uh, working. He worked on his Bella Howe home study program. And, and hey, guys, you may not realize this, but Heathkit had a lot of, Heathkit had a lot of kits, but, you know, stereos and ham radios and they even had a color tv and i, I know several people that built the color tv uh, but terry here built the 27 inch Heathkit tv and that's uh, that's cool yeah the etr is an electronics technician radar in the name ah okay i figured that's probably what it was i didn't get the radar part uh hey here is brent gorley he said he was not yet KE4MZ, uh, but this picture was taken uh, near Da Nang there. And you know what? 1967. This is my era. You know how I can tell this is my era? Look at his look at his uh, look at his uh, uniform there. His uh, his fatigues. We didn't have the fancy uh, camouflage like fatigues back then. Back then we were olive olive drab or whatever, man. You know, I mean. I guess we could blend in if we had an olive drab background. I don't know. Anyway, also he was in Germany. He was a DA2BQ, third tour in Korea, HL9VL. I was also uh, 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 ham uh, in Korea uh, in 1972. I was uh, HL9KT. Uh, he was there 64 to 93. Or, let's see. Well, I don't know about that. Oh, maybe it was. The Korean and German call signs, of course, reused. My, mine is being, mine is being reused too. Uh, I think uh, uh, some, you, you know, United Press or ABC or somebody, some news agency has my call. So, if you look up HL9KT today, 
uh, in QRZ, it'll tell you uh, who's got that call. But uh, uh, I, I did operate over here. I had a good time operating from there. Uh, let's see. Do we have any more? Yep. Now, here's one here. Everybody knows Bill. I don't know if Bill's in a chat room tonight. Let me see if Bill's in the chat room. Let's see if he's in here. I don't see him in a chat room tonight. But he's usually here every night. This is Bill. This is Bill. Now, you guys are going to have to look at Bill sideways because that's the way he sent me the picture. But, uh, you know, um, this is, uh, man, that's what Bill looked like back then. If you, if you know Bill now, Bill's got, Bill looks like he uh, joined uh, ZZ Top, if you, uh, if you know what I mean. So, uh, Bill, uh, Bill, Bill's a member of ZZ Top, I think, but he was uh, first licensed back in, in Midway, uh, back in 81, uh, transferred it to Washington. He changed his call, upgraded to tech, upgraded to general. He was on uh, various ships there. He, he got his advance back in Washington. Boy, he moved all around a lot. He retired August 91, upgraded Andrew Extra while attending UMASS Boston. Wow. All right. Hey, here's my buddy right here. This is my buddy. This is my buddy from my hometown. My little hometown's got 900 people in it. Uh, this is Bill Chisholm, WZ5X, and uh, Bill uh, uh, Bill was a ham before I was a ham there. He was he was probably six or seven years older than me, so I really didn't know Bill very well. I never got over uh, to his uh, shack while he was a ham there. Uh, he went into Marine Corps, I think, right out of high school, and. Uh, uh, and that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. That don't look like Bill. Of course, our pictures, none of our pictures look like any of us uh, uh, when you go back uh, uh, that far back. I don't know if we have any more. Uh, let's see. Bill's in uh, Lumberton, uh, North Carolina. Let's see. Uh, we look like pickles, uh, David said. Yep, yep. Sure did. Okay. Well, I, that looks like that's all of the, uh, that looks like that is all of the uh, veteran pictures, unless I've got a new one here. Let me see if anybody posted a new one here real quick and posted it out of sequence. Uh, it doesn't look like they did. So anyway, hey, join our Facebook group. You're seeing it right there. It's got a lot of different activity, a lot of things going on in it. Anything ham-related, electronic shortwave listening, and so forth. All right, so um, that, uh, that takes care of our um, our salute to our, our veterans tonight. And uh, uh, actually, Veterans Day is what still a few days away, but uh, everybody's kind of celebrating at different times. Um, I went to several uh, uh, veteran. Uh, ceremonies here in our little town here in Carrierville, Tennessee, and it was pretty, pretty cool. They had uh, several veterans there. They have a a, comp, uh, a a group that goes around to all the different cities in the in the in the United States and the world, and they actually take veterans overseas uh, where they fought, like at Normandy and so forth. And uh, uh, they had an interesting speaker there. He was uh, an Air Force captain. And uh, they had been shot down over Vietnam, and he uh, he told us about his experience there. He was a, a prisoner of war for about a year and a half uh, there. It was a very interesting 
uh, interesting uh, story he told there. All right. Hey, let's go around the room here real quick and just say hello to everybody before we get into our next thing here. I think we, it looks like Glenn is coming up here next since he's the one on the screen. Hey, Glenn, how you doing, man? Oh, doing good. Just dealing with the time change and trying to get some stuff done outside before the weather closes in and shuts me down for the year, but uh, still got the cobweb to fix. Going to restring it hopefully in a couple days and got the lab going. I'm starting to tinker and build some new things and uh, got a message earlier this week that uh, something that Dave Minster and I, uh, ARRL CEO, have put together is going to be in an upcoming issue of QST. Oh, cool. So Are we, we going to see you? Gonna, Are you? I'm not, not going to spill the beans on it You're not going to tell us, huh? No, no. It's a fun little thing, though. All right. Uh, all right. All right. But, uh, that's, no. I, think you, I think you know about it. No hints, huh? No, no, no hints? No hints. Nope. Not at all. Other than, of course, it is Arduino-based. All right. That's and a it hint. does involve ARRL headquarters. That's a hint. But it was Dave Minster's idea. Yeah. I just put it in play, and uh, it'll be in an upcoming issue of QST, hopefully in a month or so. That's cool, man. We'll be looking uh, forward yeah, to it there. It, it should be fun. And look, hey, I want to tell you something. I'll just say this politely. Winter is coming. If you hadn't fixed that cobweb antenna soon, you ain't going to fix it. Oh, I, I'm going to get it fixed even if there's snow outside. Well, I, you're not going to bring it in the house and fix it. That thing's big. Yeah, no, and I've got the 40-meter extension. Oh, on man, it, it's so. really big then. It's really big, yeah. yeah. But, uh, no, the, my neighbor's pine trees have kind of taken the wires down, so i got to restring it. But I've got all the wire. It's ready to be restrung. I just need a little bit of time and possibly this weekend or next, and it doesn't matter if it's 60 degrees outside or not. I'm getting it strung. Yeah. So well, that's good. It will, be, it will be on the air this, this winter. Okay. All right. Don, Papa Don said, your audio sounds a light, a little bassy. Man, can you talk a little bit higher like this? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't hear it. It didn't come through. You got to talk oh. higher. No, no, no. My days of talking higher are long over. I'll tell with. you what, I could probably on this mixer. You could probably do it. On this mixer, I, have... I can I can fix you. It's just you'd have to give me a mic test, and we won't do that yeah. right now. Well, I haven't changed anything on my end, so you've been tweaking with well, your settings let's see. again. Let's see. Let me just give you a little, uh, let's give you, turn that off a little bit. Let's say something right now. All right. Well, maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. You know, now now I should do all the high pitch stuff and just screw it. Well, I, th I think I got some highs in there now. Hey, Doc, uh, how does uh, how's Glenn's does Glenn's audio sound any better? Glenn, give him an audio test real quick. One, two, three, four, five. I bet it's a little bit better. All right. All right. Very good. We'll uh, we'll wait for Doc to tell us how that sounds. Uh, I cut back uh, some of the bass and I threw in a yeah. little bit of mid there uh, for you. There you go. All right. All right. Let's go on over and uh, let's check you out and see what Brett has tonight. Brett, come on in here, man. How you doing out there now? You're out in what, Wyoming or where are you? Yes, Wyoming. Wyoming, man. Now, we had up? snow already and winter <laughs> is coming. It's freezing at night and uh, I'm getting the antennas ready for winter. Um, my wife, who keeps chicken and quail, chickens and quail, uh, is getting them nice and cozy for the winter 
So uh, yeah, we're uh, we're at seventy two hundred feet uh, here in Laramie. We're getting we're we're already seeing winter. Now, um, let me let me pick some here. Now, what what's the population of Wyoming out there? The entire population of Wyoming is about five hundred eighty thousand people. There are a lot of cities with more people in oh, them than man. the entire state of Wyoming. I was going to say, about... yeah, oh, I, go ahead. I think I, I think our city, Glenn, Glenn, I think our town here's got about twice that many in it. Oh yeah, I'd say at least twice. Oh man, okay. Well, uh, you yeah, probably about, you probably uh, don't have a lot of a lot of noise and interference out there. Uh, actually, well, in our town, we do. We have a do un- we're a university town, yeah. and so every kid's got a computer, and there are a lot of people putting up Christmas lights. So the QRM is rising and oh, uh, working on various sorts of noise suppression. Uh, you know, trying trying to figure out how to null out some of the noise on on my HF, and also working on better antennas. And that's what I'm going to talk about a little bit here tonight. Some experiments I'm doing with new antennas. All right, well that's a uh, pretty pretty good. We wanna, I wanna I wanna listen to that. I need to do some antenna work myself. Winter's coming up, but hey, I got so many. I'm just gonna. I think I'm gonna. I'll get through the winter with what I got. Anyway, hey, looking forward to doing your uh, segment here in a little while. We'll get to it in a little while. Uh, I want to jump into something here else in a minute. Clifton says uh, Glenn's audio sounds better now. That's good. Cool. All right, well, very good. Just stand by, man. Stand by, and we will uh, we'll, we'll get to that in just a little while here. Uh, hey guys, uh, about a year ago, I, I talked to you about, and, and Alan was on, and we talked about an, uh, a piece of test equipment called an octopus. Now, I never heard it called that, but that's a, a common term that it is called, uh, and it's been around. 50 or more years, I know, because uh, I first became familiar with it about 50 years ago, and I used it. I, I did some repair work on some radios, and I used the Curve Tracer, or Octopus, uh, back then. And it is the coolest piece of test equipment that you can get. And it is, it's the most, it's, did I say it's cool? It's, it's the coolest piece, and I tell you, it's so easy to operate and so easy to understand. And the thing about it is the curve tracer will actually actually uh, test components in the circuit board. And uh, you know, it you know, if you want to check a trans a transistor, you can take a you know, an ohm meter and you can, you know, put the leads one way across it and then put the leads the other way across it and see the difference in and, and movement, and you think, well, that's okay, but then again, you don't know if you're measuring resistances in a circuit or, or, or you know, what you're, what you're measuring there, and it, and it becomes a little difficult. The curve tracer, the curve tracer is so easy to measure, not, actually, it doesn't measure, but display whether or not a solid-state device is good or bad. For instance, diodes, zeners, uh, uh, transistors, uh, it is so cool, and uh, I want to I want to just show you here the the uh, this is the little uh, uh, curve tracer I built, and uh, put it in a little box. Later, put my name and curve tracer on it. Very small box. Here's my test leads. You know, banana clips right there, and here's my test leads. <clears throat> and coming out of it, coming out of it, two um, two cables with B and Cs. 
to hook to your oscilloscope. One hooks to the to like channel one and channel two are your your X and your Y channels is what we're going to talk about. And it's just a uh, 110 volt AC uh, right here, and uh, it is it's so cool. And I'm going to show you some pictures here real quick of it and what it does. And uh, I th I think you're going to like it so much. You ought to build you one. And there's several ways to build it. And let me uh, let me go down to a couple schematics here. Let's see if I can uh, find some schematics here. Okay, hey, here's a simple one. I hear this thing. This one, this one has four parts in it, guys. Four total parts. You got a transformer, like a little filament transformer. You got three resistors, and that's it, man. That is it. That is the whole device. Now, you may not have a filament transformer, but um, you know if you've got any of these uh, uh, wall wart uh, uh, power packs you plug in, you can break one of those open. You can take the uh, you can take the circuit board out and just use the trans. Well, let's see. You probably I don't know. If, no, you probably couldn't use the transformer. It'd be it'd be high voltage, I think. Uh, you need a you need a low voltage, something like six volts, eight volts, twelve volts. Uh, you need somewhere in there to to operate, and you can see uh, you can see the connections here. One goes to your vertical input, one goes to your horizontal input, and then you got your black and red test lead. And uh, let me see, I've got some more there. That one has that one actually has three parts plus the uh, transformer. Uh, here's one right here. It does the same thing. They're, they're using two resistors plus a 12 volt AC. Uh, a transformer. So very simple to make. Again, it hooks to your horizontal, your vertical, and you got your test probes. Um, here it is again. A little bit cleaner. Six volt. One, two, got three, uh, three resistors. And let's see. Okay. So, um, so when you hook this to your scope, you hook it to, you need a two-channel scope. You need, you know, like your channel one and channel two. And you've got to go to the XY mode. And if you look at this Tektronix scope here, I've got it marked there. Um, if you notice the the time, time per division, that's the red knob on the very right there. Uh, on the very right, that's the, the time per division. Uh, many of your scopes have uh, like an XY mode uh, where you can just flip it down to the XY mode. So you got to be in XY mode for this thing to work. Um, and uh, uh, once you do that, you'll you'll see the patterns. Uh, you need to uh, set uh, your channel one and channel two to DC coupling. If you set it to AC coupling, you'll probably get something that looks like that. But if you set it to DC coupling, it'll be much cleaner, and uh, you'll uh, you'll see it uh, uh, much better there. Uh, just to show you what you what you see when you use this thing, uh, there it is right there. There's your uh, patterns. If you, the top pattern there, a straight line across uh, means uh, you've got an open. So if you got your test lead, test leads across something, and you see a, the straight line, it, it's an open. Uh, the third picture on the top, if you see the line goes straight up and down, that means you have a short. Uh, you, you can identify resistance. If you look at that middle top picture, 
you can see various resistors there, like a 1K, and uh, I, it's too small for me to see how how, how far they go. But uh, you can see it goes from almost uh, no resistance to a lot of resistance, uh, just as if you were going from a short to an open. Capacitors, uh, you know, uh, give you a, a elliptical type circle there. You can see different capacitors that give you that. Uh, if you look at uh, down toward the bottom, the the uh, the L shape there, you get that's looking at the junction of a transistor or a diode. If you place this uh, place the test leads across the, a transistor or a diode, it's in the circuit. If you get that symbol right there, that solid state device is good. Uh, the two bottom right uh, actually show a Zener diode, and you can see. Uh, it's kind of a what it's got three three legs to it there kind of one pointing down one pointing up and one across so that kind of designates a, uh, a Zener uh, diode right there so uh, this thing it, it's just so easy uh, I've got just a uh, uh, Alan did Alan did a uh, short video on this I'm gonna play about three minutes of his video uh, that he did talking about this and just let you see what it looks like uh, real time. So let me see if I can uh, get over there. And um, I think I can. Here we go. Almost there. Almost okay. Let me put a little volume on there. And we're gonna we're gonna listen to Alan for a second here. Okay. Get waveform. If I ground my probe, my DUT probe, you can see I get my vertical uh, deflection. Okay, indicating I've got a short circuit. So if we uh, go across a, a an ordinary silicon diode, okay, I've got. Uh, I've got one sitting right here, okay? If I go across that diode, okay, and come back here, now I can see that familiar, you know, diode characteristic. As the voltage goes positive, we go to a point where the diode turns on and boom, the current goes up, okay? As the voltage goes negative, okay, across the device, I get no current flowing. So that's essentially what a diode looks like, and that tells me, hey, this diode is good. If the diodes would, would, was shorted, I'd have a vertical line. If the diode were open, I'd have a horizontal line. So simple little component test. I, I know my diode is good. All right. Let's look at a, an LED. Okay. I've got an LED sitting right here. So if I connect this guy up to the LED and I look back over on the scope, I've got that same characteristic. The difference is, is that I'm turning on at a larger voltage, right? Typically LEDs have got a larger turn on voltage than you know, a silicon diode, which might be 0.7 volts, you know, an LED might be one and a half, two, two and a half, three volts, depending on the technology for the diode. Okay, so uh, so that tells me that diode is good. Excuse me, that LED is good. All right. So uh, pretty useful. In fact, a good way to look at this. I'm going to switch back to kind of the uh, the normal mode here with the scope, and let's go back to change my scales. Okay, I separate the signal out here. Now I can actually see what's happening. Okay. This trace down here is the voltage across the, LED, uh, the LED. As the voltage is going negative, okay, there's no current flowing, okay. As the voltage goes positive, it reaches a point where current starts to flow, 
and the note and the voltage then doesn't increase across the diode anymore. But as we increase the voltage across that stack, you know, of the uh, component and the resistor, okay, then the current actually continues to flow. Now, as the voltage comes back down, okay, goes down below the turn off the turn on voltage for the LED, the voltage will continue to go negative, and the current goes off. So those two waveforms now, when you combine them up in the XY mode, you get this kind of you know, your typical L-shaped curve that you have that's kind of the characteristic curve in a component tester for an LED, okay? And uh, so that, you know, kind of shows that. If we put a capacitor on here, a capacitor is going to just basically provide some impedance and a phase shift. So that's going to basically, you know, give us a, an ellipse of some sort. You know, may, you know its size is going to be dependent on its, uh, its value and the frequency that we're testing it at. So this is kind of an example that, yeah, that's a good capacitor. If it was open, we'd have a flat line. If it was shorted, we'd have a vertical line. But the fact that we have an ellipse is enough to tell us, hey, that's a, that's a, a capacitor at least is not open or shorted. So what's interesting is that I found this uh, little silica, this little glass diode right here. Okay, so I can focus on that. No markings on it, so I stuck that in here. And if we kind of stick our probe on that, okay, and go look at my curve tracer, Okay, now I get this characteristic. So what does that mean? Well, this says that as I go forward in voltage, okay, uh, the, the thing's turning on like a normal diode, so that's my normal forward voltage characteristic. But as I go reverse in voltage, instead of staying with no current flowing, it act, at some point, some current does start to flow. That tells me that's a Zener diode. Now, this diode was completely unmarked. I had no idea what it was, but this tells me that it's a Zener and it works. And I can do some further tests to characterize, you know, what where that knee voltage is, and I'll label it. And now I know I've got a Zener diode for for that voltage. So uh, so that's kind of a neat uh, a neat way to determine that. So it's a nice thing to very quickly sort through your junk box of components to see if uh, you know if the diodes are good and if they're Zeners or what they are. You can even use it to kind of look at transistors. I've got a transistor right here. Okay, well, let's kind of grab the uh, center lead here on this TO92. Okay, I know this happens to be an NPN, but you can kind of you know, even ferret out what it is. So if I connect the, up to the base lead, which is in the center here, okay, and let's look at each of the junctions. Okay, I'm just going to touch them to ground. Okay, so there's one of the junctions here. Okay, looks like a you know normal base emitter junction, kind of like a diode. So that that's good. If we touch the other one here, okay, let's kind of get that over there. Uh, if I can do this with one hand. There we go. So that one is, that's actually, I'm looking at it, it's the base collector junction. Okay. So that one's good. What you may have noticed, let me put the, the base emitter junction back on here. Uh, if we look carefully, we can see that at the very end of the negative side of the base emitter junction, we're starting to get a little bit of breakdown, uh, like a Zener breakdown on the base emitter. And that's actually pretty common. Uh, yeah, the, the, because of the doping involved, you will get a Zener breakdown at a relatively low voltage if you reverse bias a base. All right, all right. Well, hey, I just wanted you to see that, that uh, how it works, and, and, and Alan showed it just very clearly there. Man, the way it pops up on a scope, it is just, it makes me grin, and it is so easy to, to uh, basically check uh, solid state components, particularly transistors that are in the circuit and so forth. You just can't hardly test a transistor in the circuit, but this this little device here does it. You can build it with three or four parts. There's nothing in there to it. Uh, and you know what? You don't even have to. You don't even have to put uh, 
leads with your with BNCs on it. You could actually put a couple uh, uh, terminals on here, and you could actually just clip, uh, take you two scope probes and just clip the scope probe on, you know, the the channel one, channel two, or the XY, and you don't even have to worry about this. So you could even simplify it even more. Uh, Brent, Brent said that the, the six volts uh, could damage the LED, and uh, it's very possible. Uh, but uh, the uh, uh, it has quite a bit of current limiting. I, I'm not sure uh, if it's down in the microamps or what, but it's down very, very, very low uh, to keep from damaging. Uh, in fact, there are uh, curved tracers here that actually have a selection switch where you can select uh, higher current and higher current and even higher current uh, for devices that might take that. Uh, but um, I built just a basic unit here. Uh, you know, hey, and if you can't find, if you can't find like a 6 or a 8 or a 12 volt transformer, you can, there are these little wall warp transformers that are, that are AC. You know, most of them are DC, but you will find some AC uh, wall warps out there. Just take that, plug it in, and run the leads over uh, to a little box, and you got two or three resistors in there, and that's it, man. That's the total, total package, man. And uh, you could probably have enough stuff in your junk box right now to build that. So, uh, can you show that schematic again, yeah, Tom? Yeah, we can. There's there's several here. Um, here's one here. Uh, basically, six volt yeah, three. You can see you've yeah. got a one k resistor for current limiting. Plus the 220. Yeah, I mean there. So you, yeah, you've got you know 1.2k of current limiting at six volts. That should be plenty to yeah. keep from blowing an LED. Well, let's see. Most uh, here's another one that's got two trans transistors. Same thing. You same. Know, you've got, you know, and you've then, got a lot of current limiting. And there's one there. Um, so anyway, hey, it is so simple, so simple. Look at look how simple that is to build. Yeah, your vertical. And it, it's really cool. But the key that you've left out, you gotta have an oscilloscope. Well, you do have to have an oscilloscope. And uh, yeah. hey, there's, there's hey, the key. Uh, oscilloscopes are, are are pretty cheap. You can get them just you can find them Absolutely. just about any ham fest. And uh, you know, just pick up one for that. And even if you just use it for that, I found that. When I was servicing those radios and things, that that thing was a lifesaver. It was so easy to identify a bad uh, output transistor, RF transistor, power transistor, in circuit. Man, it made it so quick and so easy to find. Man. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. No, I mean, I live by my oscilloscope. I mean, I picked one up a couple years, well, probably about 10 years ago at Huntsville for about 100 bucks. We've got a gentleman that repairs and refurbishes them. And he's at Huntsville every year. Mm -hmm. um, I bought a nice Tektronix 465 for about a hundred or so bucks back then. And uh, then I got my old work control data mm -hmm. scope. That was my day to day scope from a friend. So uh, I've got a 465 and a 475 in addition to my modern digital scope. And those digital scopes now are only like two hundred something bucks or less on Amazon. Yeah, yeah. Well, and here yeah, here's same. one. I, I've got this one. This is one of the this is one of the auto scopes. Exactly. You don't have to set the time constant or anything, Mary. You just hit that you hit that auto button, and you hear little relays clicking here, click 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 click, and it just tunes it right in. Now, yeah. this one will do the uh, the X Y function, but you have to go in the menu, 
you have to go in the menu and select XY on here. So yeah. it, you got to know where to go on it to do it. Now, I did buy, in addition to that one, I did buy, and I wanted just a standard, uh, standard, yep. and this is the 20, this is the uh, Tektronik 2335. There are hundreds of these out there, man. Hundreds yeah, out that's there. That's a digital storage yeah. scope there. Yeah, there are hundreds of them out there. I think I paid maybe close to a hundred dollars for it, yeah. but man, it's a it's it's a cool little scope, and you know, and and again, it's Tektronix, a well-known brand, you know, and uh, you know, hey, it's just it's just fun playing with these kind of things. Yeah. Uh, and and to be honest, once you graduate beyond the voltmeter and the basic component tester that you can get at Hamfest for a couple bucks. A scope is your number one diagnostic tool. You can do everything, as you saw with your signal tracer there or curve tracer and everything like that. Mm -hmm. You can fix and troubleshoot just about anything with the scope alone. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. And it, it's very handy. All right, all right. Well, we've talked about that, and we've talked about that. Mark it off our list for tonight, and let's see. Let's uh, just take a quick one minute or less break. We'll be right back with everybody, and uh, we'll get into some more fun stuff here. Explore the world of microwaves with ICOM's new SHF portable, the IC905. This all-mode rig covers 2 meters, 70 centimeters, 1.2 gigs, 2.4 gigs, 5.6 gig bands, and... With the optional CX10G transceiver, it will do 10 gigahertz. This transceiver also has a few industry firsts. It's the first to support the five major general bands from VHF to SHF. The first PoE-powered RF module designed to be at the base of the antenna to eliminate signal loss. And the first to be compatible with amateur TV and analog FM mode. Other features of the IC905 include a large 4.3-inch touchscreen, real-time high-speed spectrum scope, easy digital mode settings, high-performance GPS antennas included, full D-Star functions, SD card slot. Aim higher and enter the world of SHF. For more information, go to www.icomamerica/amateur. All right, we're back. Hey, we were just talking about why the 905 was being shown there uh, for the uh, microwave uh, RF unit on it. It actually goes out at the antenna, and uh, that way it, it down converts, and you know you don't have all that loss in your coax coming down. Speaking of that loss in the coax, you know, guys, the uh, the KU stuff I'm playing with, it's up uh, 11, 12 gigahertz. And the uh, low, low noise block converter converts it at the dish down to about one gig, one gigahertz. And I'm running easily a hundred feet of RG6 uh, in here uh, from there. And it just, you know, hey, I don't see any loss at all. I'm, I'm sure there's loss oh, there. Oh, you should be. <laughs> yeah. I, there's, there's loss there, I guess. But the thing is that, I don't know. It just handles it, man. I don't know. Hey, well, so so hey, we got we got Brett going to talk about some antennas in a minute. But hey, I did want to talk about again. I want to talk about real quick. You know, I, I mentioned last time. Uh, in fact, we saw a little video where I, I unboxed the twenty-two dollar uh, KU band receiver, the eight dollar uh, low noise block amp uh, block converter, 
and uh, the, the dish, and I showed you that, and uh, I built a little portable frame up, set it outside uh, on the ground, and, and aimed it, and uh, uh, I've got a, a, a video or two here, they're a couple minutes apart, just want to show you what kind of results I was able to achieve on my very first try to get uh, KU band uh, satellite, so uh, uh, this just happened uh, happened recently, let's see, how am I going to do this, okay, I know how to do it right here. So stand by and, and here here it is. Let's see. Okay guys, just a quick update. My eyes doing much better. I got the uh, satellite dish out today and laid the coax in the shop. Laid the coax out to the dish. Got it mounted on my little uh, my little uh, two by four frame here. Uh, it's not level, but that's okay, just as long as you get the dish aimed in the right spot. Uh, but it helped. I, I put it yeah, I almost didn't realize level. that KU was up at 12 and, uh, gig. Yeah. You got a little right, so inline voice meter. Going over this. You can probably hear it. And uh, the way you work this little inline meter is it, it makes a tone and signal strength when you're on a satellite. So you should put the meter about, about halfway. And then if you turn the dish, Let's see if I can show you here. So is that a geosynchronous satellite, or are you moving yeah. me in? Yeah, this is geosynchronous. This is a KU, KU band. You can actually peak the dish uh, elevation up and down and side to side, and that little uh, meter will uh, help you peak the satellite. So it was really easy setting up. I knew that uh, Glenn, satellite guess we've on got the audio going out on the show. Was the Galaxy 19? You're probably not hearing it. And uh, the reason I picked this side of the house, you can see I've got. And that's a greater distance than a Leo, lot of trees. but uh, nothing like EME. A lot of trees. The satellites are going to be that's uh, southeast, coming around. There's almost due south. Now due south, I've got an opening. Then from this spot, if I go on west, I've got trees again. But anyway, I'm shooting right through that opening here. So what and, mode uh, do these satellites use? FM? knew about SSD. where to aim by taking my compass oh, here. Um, these and, are uh, TV. They use um, a lot of MP4. Take MP4. the compass here and setting it for oh, uh, digital. Okay. Yeah. the direction that uh, Galaxy 19 is. I set the approximate uh, elevation height here. So we're going to look at. Didn't uh, play with the uh, L and B. Put it on the side, and it seems already peaked. It's Let's at, go inside uh, and see what we're getting. About 194 degrees. Okay, so we're uh, we're in the shop now, and here's a little receiver. The coax, of course, is coming in from outside, and then I've got uh, HDMI from so here to almost monitor. straight south. And that's what yep. I'm watching the channels on. That's this satellite. It's amazing how many channels you can have up there now. When I was on C-band many, many years ago, I think we had 12 channels vertical and 12 channels horizontal. Man, there are hundreds of channels on these satellites now. There's there's over 100 on channels this on this one satellite. Transponder. I guess it's called a transponder. On this particular one, there's about 150, channels. This reminds uh, me of most of my these, used to have uh, the six-foot dish in the yard. What I want to do is 
use this to just look around the world and see what's going on in different places of the world. But let me, uh, hit, let me see if I can get the, Only the six foot. menu up here. I think mine had the 9 or the 12 foot. Mm -hmm. All right. That was 80. So, All right. Stand by. So right now, with what little tuning I've done, you can see, you can see the channels I'm getting. Uh, there's ch you can see channel 1 there. All the way over to channel 30. Let me go another one. There's a right, these are some of the channels that we're seeing there on the Galaxy 19. Through 60. Uh, channel, channel 61 through uh, 90. There's channel 90. Uh, channel 91 through There's 110 channels so there. I don't Plus have you've got a lot of exactly. Uh, you got a lot of uh, radio perfect out there, but I'm getting 116 channels right now. Uh, let's see what the kind TV of channels, channels have commercials or just breaks for them or things like uh, it, Saudi it Arabia, Saudi Arabia, French, uh, German. Uh, oh, gee, there's all kinds of stuff here, man. Um, a lot of Spanish. There is some English on here. A lot of religious channels on here. Would it be fun to see some of the Asian channels that you just can't uh, get in the States? Well, Sudan, Jordan, Kuwait. Yeah, we're talking about Korea. Uh, people. Muslim TV, Yemen. Uh, I can get about any TV on here I want, man. Uh, Palestinian, Omar, Oman, Sudan. Let's see what else we see here. Okay, so you can see there's a lot going on here right now. Uh, let me see if I can pick out a channel here for us to, to watch here. Um, let's see. Let's look at the Congo. Let's look at uh, Tele, Tele Congo and see what we see with Tele Congo. I have no idea. I'm guessing that's coming from Africa. Um, I, I've got the dish out of alignment, so uh, it's not doing too good. I moved it a minute ago when I was showing you guys how to adjust it. Let's, uh, let's find something else. Uh, let's see. Let's look at some Iranian TV. So, of course, I'm not understanding it, but I can see what's going on in Iran. Um, let's see what else we can find here. Here's one called Optium English. I don't know what that is. Let's just take a look and see what it is. seem to be it says no signal okay uh and i did move the ditch after i was getting all these earlier uh let's try another channel here i wonder what wedge tv is you know some are marked high definition and again i got the dish out of a line out there a little bit
See what Amazing Facts is? I have no idea what Amazing Facts is. Must be religious. Amazing Discoveries. Okay, so you can kind of see what is going on there with the uh, with my KU, my little KU temporary setup. Guys, uh, there are a whole bunch of satellites up here in the geosynchronous orbit. Geosynchronous means they're, they're 22,300 miles out. Uh, they're actually turning at the same speed the Earth's turning, so therefore you aim the antenna once, and uh, it, it pretty much stays there. Uh, so again, um, I've got a lot of trees that block me from due south to the east, so I'm not, I haven't tried to get those yet. Uh, I'm, I'm in pretty good uh, uh, from, and when you get to south, they start getting pretty high. They're like about the elevation is about 49 degrees on that particular satellite we were looking at, which is pretty high, and that's the reason you can see me shooting over the house. Uh, there, there are a lot of satellites. Uh, they have anywhere from 100 to 150 channels each. Most of these are not encrypted. Uh, some of the satellites have uh, news feeds. Uh, there are a lot of religious channels. Uh, there are colleges. There's all kinds of things on there. Uh, I've got one other video. It's real short. I'm going to show you here from in, sh in the shack. This is using that uh, other piece of test equipment. If you remember, I bought that handheld test equipment. Show you it. Now, the problem with that is, the problem with that is, um, of course, it's made in China. There are absolutely no instructions with it, and even even the satellite receiver here. So, you kind of gotta figure it out yourself. Okay, that that's that's the issue I'm having here. I want to look at this last video. It's about a minute or two long, and uh, this shows using the that uh, handheld little. Uh, uh, satellite uh, test equipment. Now that satellite, a handheld test equipment, you, you, it'll have uh, signal strength, uh, quality, uh, a lot of things. It'll scan. Uh, it'll even bring the it'll even bring the TV picture up on the unit itself, and you'll see that in this one. This was about a minute thirty seconds.
becoming Taiwanese, on the formation of uh, Taiwanese identity, uh, including the colonial period. In your research, have you, what, where have you found the remnants? Okay, well, that, uh, that gives you a little idea. A little, let me turn the echo off. That gives you a little idea of so far what I've been able to do, uh, especially with no instruction books uh, and playing with a dish outside. So um, I'm interested to look at some of the other satellites more to the uh, more to the west and see what I can get. Um, I, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to get any from much due south to the east because of I've got solid trees out there. You saw that with my my satellite operation there. Uh, the instrument with the uh, small video screen was just a uh, it's just a test set uh, that I bought to help to uh, uh, help to align. I don't have it in here. Uh, help to tune in and align uh, the satellite channels. You would think something like yeah, it's got a spectrum analyzer in it. You can actually see all the channels, and you can actually see the the signal of every channel. Uh, that piece of test equipment you saw, brand new through Amazon, was $58. And uh, you can actually set you up a KU band satellite receive system uh, for about a hundred, for less than $150. Uh, the receiver, you can buy the receiver for about $22 new. The, LN, the LNB now is $8. Back when I was building, back in the 70s, when I was building C-band systems, an LNA or an LNB was costing $500. Now you can get that LNB for, for KU-band. Uh, you can get them right and left for 8 bucks a piece. 8 bucks, 10 bucks, 12 bucks, you know. Uh, and the dish, uh, yeah, you know, I, I paid about 100 for the dish. So probably, you know, under $150, you could get a complete KU band system up out there. Now, the thing is, uh, once you're aiming at a satellite, you're going to have to leave it there. Uh, it's not motorized. You can motorize the KU band systems. Uh, like uh, back in the 70s when I built the, built the C-band, uh, we had, you know, some 10-foot dishes, and we actually had an actuator arm on there. And we could easily move it from satellite to, to satellite. But uh, just to give you guys just uh, uh, one comment about back in the olden days, I've got uh, I got a couple pictures here back when I started out in the CBN. I want you to look at this. Uh, this is this is a picture of a spherical antenna. This is a homemade satellite antenna like we built uh, back then. There's another. There's me standing in front of a 20-foot spherical. And uh, the way this thing is built is it's built with angle iron. You got an iron frame, and then we've got like six-inch bolts that go through the iron frame every couple of feet. And we 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 pull those bolts in or out, and we put wooden strips there and pull the bolts in or out to warp the the wood. And then we put screen wire on it, or chicken wire, or what you know, or the the little square hold wire. And uh, so this is a 20-footer that a friend uh, had. That's me standing with it. Uh, here's the side. You can see how, how it's got the curvature there. Um, now, this is a spherical. It's not a parabolic. A spherical works different than a parabolic antenna. Uh, but uh, uh, 
there I am in front of a, a I think that's a 10 foot or an eight yeah, 10 foot or an eight foot that's me standing in front of that and uh, he actually cut the little corners off here but the way we hooked the uh, LNA up back then is we, we made a feed horn made a feed horn out of um, uh, uh, sheet metal you can see it right there and you might notice something that's familiar there that's a TV rotor right there and we used that TV rotor to to change the uh, position of the uh, antenna it's in the LNA there and by rotating that rotor 90 degrees we could turn that antenna uh, where it's vertical or we could turn the antenna horizontal so we had 12 channels vertical we had 12 channels horizontal now the thing about a spherical is um, the thing about the spherical antenna is it doesn't have a focal point right in the center uh, everything I don't, I don't know if I, I have a picture here that I could show you but um, for instance this is not good uh, for instance um, uh, you may have that feed horn set up and it may be 12 feet high right in the center picking up a certain satellite and if you if you go to if you step off to the right four or five feet put another feed horn there it may be at 12 feet or 13 feet high because the angle that the satellite hits that it bounces off at a reciprocal angle so your feed horns are going to be different places so uh, instead of rotating the dish we just had it marked where the feed horn would sit in the height of the feed horn so you know uh, on one side the feed horn may be four feet off the ground and as you go around uh, the arc there toward the other side the feed horn may be 12 feet off the ground uh, but uh, the feed horn sit one and a half uh, one and a half times the distance back from the spherical uh, as, as a diameter so that's what we did back in the older days I finally upgraded and put a regular dish in and I, I did do uh, home brew I did home brew the uh, the C-band stuff but you know as you move around as you move around and uh, you get cable and uh, you don't want to put a big dish in the yard and things like that I just kind of got out of the satellite business of course they uh, after a number of years they encrypted which uh, threw a wrench in a lot of people, you know, wanting to watch all the free stuff, the encrypted. And uh, I won't talk much about that. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, after so many years, um, you know, I'm thinking, okay, the C band is so easy, I mean, the KU band is so easy to get back into and experiment with and play with. And I was mentioning a while ago, we were mentioning the loss, you know, loss in feline. Guys, the uh, the uh, the output of the LNB out there is is between one and 1.2 gigahertz, and um, I, you know uh, it, it easily travels down a hundred foot piece of uh, RG6 here. You know, so I don't know. Maybe I'll start using RG6 for uh, ham radio. Not sure about what the power level would be. Of course, it's 75 ohm. All right. So hey. That's my update on the KU band right there, and uh, that was our first attempt. And I don't know, hey, it you know looks it looks like it's uh, going to be a fun hobby, you know. Uh, okay, let's see, uh, where are we at now? Let me make a quick announcement, and then, and then uh, Brett, we're going to come in here and we're going to talk about uh, one of the projects that you've uh, worked on there. Uh, hey guys, if you will, uh, if you have not done it already. Let me check something here. Um, okay, if you haven't done it, guys, please hit that subscribe button. We really need you to hit the subscribe button. It's right down there in that corner right there. You ought to see I'm putting it here. I'm helping you out, guys. I can't press it for you, but I'm showing you where it is. 
please hit that subscribe button here. Join our Facebook group. It's called W5KUB. Facebook, just search for W5KUB. It's actually Amateur Radio Roundtable, but that's a lot of typing. If you type W5KUB, you'll get there. Uh, we also welcome tonight all of our listeners out there on radio station, shortwave station WBCQ out of uh, Monticello, Maine. We're on 7490 kilohertz, about 50,000 watts there. So we've got viewers, or not viewers, but we've got listeners uh, around the country that are uh, listening to us uh, tonight. Actually, if you're listening, it's Thursday for you. It's between 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. Uh, Eastern time uh, if you're listening to this show on Thursday. If you want to tune in with us and join us live on, on our video uh, show, you can tune in to us on Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern uh, by going to w5kub.com, w5kub.com, and uh, you can join us there. We have a chat room where you can talk directly with us there. Uh, also, uh, guys, uh, we've got our, uh, our, our audio-only podcast out there. This show's audio is actually put on a podcast. Um, I was checking the other day. I think we've got something like 75,000 downloads. So, so we've got a few people that are listening to the show out there. We're on iNet. We're on uh, Google Play. Uh, iTunes, uh, all the all the carriers. I couldn't stick them all on here. Uh, more and more have picked us up uh, since we started doing it. So um, we've got a lot of ways that you can find us there. All right. Well, let's get back here too. Let's get back and let's talk about Brett. You you you're doing something with antennas. What are you doing there, man? I'm gonna bring you in here. What you got going? Hello, Tom. Yes. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, um, it's getting toward winter, and I'm thinking about antennas and what I'm going to do when I can't climb on the roof. And I have started experimenting with hamsticks and uh, uh, various things that are made out of hamsticks, and that's a lot of fun. A lot of a lot of people, a lot of, especially a lot of new hams, don't know what a hamstick is, and they should because it uh, it actually is a very useful piece of equipment. Now, what a hamstick is is a short HF antenna with a built-in loading coil. And, and I have one here. This is one that's tuned for 15 meters. And uh, you can see it's got a, uh, it's just got a screw attachment at the bottom. This is a 3 8 uh, by 24 screw thread. And then uh, it's shrink wrapped. And you can see, if you look closely here at the, uh, at, at the body, you can see that the, uh, there's a spiral winding, which is the loading coil wrapped around the fiberglass stick and what this is is a load which uh, which makes it uh, resonate at a, at a at a wavelength much longer than the than the stick actually is and you get to the bottom and there are there's a uh, little stinger just a, you know just a single piece of wire coming out the bottom and a couple of uh, and, and a couple of screws uh, for your Allen wrench to adjust the length of the stinger, which moves in and out of the body. And uh, it resonates on short wave frequencies. Um, it's uh, because it's got so, so much of it as a loading coil, it has a very narrow bandwidth. Uh, don't expect to cover, without adjusting it, don't expect to cover an entire HF band, but it can cover a good portion of one, depending on what you're interested in. And uh, the best thing about it is that it's compact. And you can do all sorts of things with it uh, to uh, deal with situations such as uh, traveling and setting up for POTA. 
It's also great if you have HOA issues because you can take ham sticks and use them either individually or uh, or, or or in combination um, in the attic of an apartment building, um, even inside an apartment building, inside a trailer, in areas where you have where, where you're confined, you don't have a lot of space, and uh, you can actually do real DX with them. And I'm going to show a project tonight that I did just uh, just this week, where I made a dipole out of two ham sticks. And let's see if I can share my screen. I'll show you what I did. Okay, let's see here. Okay, I need to find the uh, need to find the app. Let's try this. Okay, All right, here. we got it. Got it. Okay. So anyway, this is what I built this week. And uh, it's really, uh, oops, I want to go back. It's really, really simple device. What I did was I took an old cutting board from the kitchen. And I took a, ah, it's, uh, it's trying to do an automatic slideshow on me. So I'm going to need to find out how to stop that. Uh, let's see. Here we are. Okay. Well, I'll show it like this. Um, what uh, well, I took an old cutting board from the kitchen and I just drilled a couple of holes in it and I took some washers and some uh, and some wing nuts that fit the di the, the, the uh, ham sticks and I made a dipole you can see that uh, one side you know it's sticking out on two sides here and then I took uh, just an ordinary piece of LMR 195 coax and uh, put it under washers so that uh, so that each the, the braid attached to one of one of the ham sticks and the center conductor attached to the others i put a ferrite on the coax just as a precaution it's uh, supposedly a balanced dipole but i wanted to make absolutely sure that we didn't get any rf running back into the shack and then i mounted a saddle clamp and a u-bolt on it so that i could attach it to a pole and i attached it to a little tripod that i happen to have hanging about in the yard so this was the result, um, the, uh, a, little, a little dipole, again, just attached to a middle pole that I could put out on my patio. And uh, then I had to tune it. And uh, when you tune these, they're extremely sensitive. Um, you, loosen the, you loosen the Allen screws, and then you have to pull the stingers in and out, and a single centimeter will send you off by 100 kilohertz. And again, these have very narrow bandwidth, so you need to get it just right. And I decided that since the bandwidth was so narrow, um, I was using 20 meter ham sticks here. Um, I decided I was going to tune for the FT8 watering hole. Um, in this case, at it, 14.074 it, it uh, uh, megahertz and uh, kept on adjusting it. And they're so sensitive that you actually, after you adjust each stinger, you have to move away from the antenna because your antenna, your antenna analyzer and the SWR will be thrown off just as you stand close to it. So I stretched the cable across the patio and uh, kept on adjusting them. And each, each one would affect, the, would affect the SWR, the whole antenna. And eventually I got it tuned in very well. And then I went and I, I ran the cable uh, up through a window and attached it to a, a G90 that I have in my shack, a Jigu HF rig. And uh, scanned the uh, scan to see how my SWR was doing, and uh, this is the result that I got. As you can see, here we are on the 20 meter band, and you can see that uh, 
here is about 14 uh, 14 megahertz here is about um, 14.149 you can see that i managed to get the lowest swr right about where the f where the fta frequency is and then well remember you've got uh, you've got 220 you've got 220 megahertz uh, hamsticks here and so that for the total length because you've got two of them it ought to resonate on 40 mega you know on, on 40 meters as well so I went ahead and tested that and see how, uh, to see how I was doing on 40 meters. And sure enough, when I scanned for the SWR, I got even better results on 40 meters up to a certain point. And you can see after you, know, after you got above a certain frequency, it just went to the moon. Uh, but again, in the FT8 watering hole, which is where I was interested in, 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 in uh, working, I could get very low SWRs. And so I went ahead and, and attached my computer to the rig and fired up, uh, uh, fired up uh, WSJTX. And sure enough, I was making QSOs. This antenna was just sitting on a little tripod in my yard. It was, you know, in, in, on my patio. It wasn't elevated in any way. It was, it was only about uh, seven, eight feet above the ground. And it was doing HF, and I was going all the way across the country and probably could have gone around the world if I worked at it, if I'd hung the antenna higher, I probably could have, could have gone a lot farther. And so this is a great thing. If you, if you want to, if, if you have an HOA that absolutely won't let you mount an antenna outdoors, but you can get up into your attic. If, uh, if, if you can, uh, you know, if, if you're in an apartment building and your landlord won't let you put up anything permanent, this is a great way to, to, to go ahead and do, uh, and, 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 and get on the air. Now, uh, there, there are even more elaborate, no, no, I went ahead and I made made my own um, ha um, hamstick dipole there, but you don't have to make your own. There is a, there is a little device called the MFJ three four seven. You go out to MFJ website and find it, which does essentially what my piece of cutting board did. Only it's a nice pre-made metal bracket, and I flashed the, the picture of that earlier. That lets you if you, that's completely plug and play. You can get it from HRO for about $30 and attach two hemsticks to it. And, and you can use, again, you can do this for different bands. Um, I use 20 meter hamsticks so I could get 20 and 40, but there are also 15 meter hamsticks that'll give you 15 and 30. Um, there, there are 10 meter hamsticks that'll give you 10 and 20. And then, and, and then there are, uh, you know, you, you can go to, uh, you, you can do, you can go all the way down to using uh, to using 80 meter hamsticks, and they don't. I understand that when you do a dipole with them, they don't really work too well on the top band, uh, but at least you can do something with them. And then, if you want to get fancier and if you uh, you want to work a lot of bands, you can use a device like this. Um, this is the Chameleon Spider, and as you can see, it's got it's bristling with connections for uh, for hamsticks. And uh, this is uh, this lets you attach eight hamsticks, and you can have uh, you can have four uh, you can have four hamstick dipoles connected uh, simultaneously. And just because of the way ra radio waves work, uh, what will happen is each pair of hamsticks will select its own frequency when you're transmitting on or receiving uh, on that frequency, and you receive on every frequency. And so uh, if you use this. You can uh, you can have it up on uh, you know, on top of a pole, and uh, it you know it, it'll uh, again it'll it'll let you do the same thing on several bands at once. The only problem is that because it's a dipole, it's somewhat directional. 
So it's a good idea if you're going to have something like this to attach it to a, rot uh, to, to a rotor so that you can turn it to get the best reception from any particular place. MFJ also has an equivalent of this. I like this one because it has a solid cast body. Um, MFJ has one which is not quite as solid, but is pretty darn good. And that's called, the um, Chameleon calls this one the spider. Um, MFJ calls theirs the octopus. So in any case, uh, that's just sort of a quick overview of what I've been experimenting with. Now that I've found that it's so easy to make these dipoles, I'm probably going to make up a set of them and, uh, and, and, uh, and use them all over the place and probably put them in the attic where they're easy to get to in wintertime. And that's really it for now. Uh, thank you for having me, Tom. If there are any questions from the chat, uh, I'd be glad to answer them. All right. Uh, hey, thanks for uh, thanks for telling us about that. You know, that's the same uh, that's the same concept as back uh, you know uh, in the early days on our mobile antenna. You know, the Hustler antenna had a like a 54 inch uh, you know mast, and then you had your resonators your coils with little whips that would go on top, 80, 40, 20, and so forth. And what we did back then, very similar to this, we just put a little piece of metal on there, put three bolts in there, and we could screw three uh, of the resonators, you know, you know, 20, 15, and 10 on there. And, you know, hey, you didn't have to get out and switch things. So the nice thing about what you're showing there is if you've got an antenna on there for each of the bands, it's just you just flip the band switch, and uh, it's a multi-band antenna. Yeah, there are people who do arrays of vertical hamsticks as well, where they take a plate and they attach a series of, of hamsticks to it. But then you've got to have radials, and that becomes a real pain in the neck because it makes you less portable, and you really can't do that very well in an attic. Um, so it's uh, so so doing the dipole actually turns out to be a more convenient thing, especially if you're if you're portable. But if you're in a fixed position and you don't want to have to you don't want to have to bother with a rotor to try to adjust the dipole to get the best reception from something, well, then that might be a good idea too. Yeah, well, it's so much fun playing with antennas. They're, they're, man, you know, that's the easiest thing to play with in ham radio. And uh, uh, just whatever you, you know, wire antennas, antennas like you're just talking about, uh, some you know, people build their own Yaggies and so forth, but uh, you know, hey, just just a quick question. Uh, did you ever get that uh, SGC tuner that you bought at Huntsville? Did you ever get it working? Yes, it's now working. It's uh, it was a little. It was the bare tuner module. It was a bare board rather rather than uh, the one that was inside a case. Uh -huh. And yeah, I've got that working on an antenna right now. It's now I've got, I've got a horizontal sky loop, and it's uh, it's tuning that. Yeah, and you know, hey, you, I, I don't think you can beat that. You know. Hey, it, 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 you put a piece of wire out there and you can work any band you want, man. I mean, that, that's a neat little tuner. Yeah, it would probably tune a barbed wire fence. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and you've got yours in a loop configuration. You could you could actually put a doublet up there. I won't call it a dipole. A dipole basically is usually cut for a certain band, but you could put a doublet up there. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. However long you wanted to, I guess it would probably tune it, tune it, doublet to to uh, any of the different bands. Uh, really, not any need to put that on a, a a dipole that's resonant up here. It wouldn't help you a whole lot. Mm -hmm. No, it's mainly if you want to resonant. If if you want to have an antenna that's resonant on different bands, um, it's also really good for an OCF dipole because an OCF dipole without a tuner. 
um, we'll send a, let of, a lot of RF back down the outside of the coax and you'll, you'll wind up with RF in the shack. Um, if, you, if you use one of those tuners with, with an off-center fed dipole, that doesn't happen. And so it's a good reason to use it as well. Yeah, and the neat thing about your tuner is put it out out at the antenna, man. You know, you don't you don't put it in a shack with the radio. Put it out there where the antenna is. And that way, uh, you got a true 50 ohms from that tuner all the way back to your rig. Yes, and that's especially true because most rigs have tuners in them now. The place yeah. where you where you need to handle the impedance mismatch now is really where the feed line hits the antenna. Right. Right. Well, I'm glad you got that working. Uh, I love mine, but um, I also like to have some resonant antennas because uh, I kind of, a lot of times I'm a high power guy. And uh, of course, a little SGC tuner you've got, like I've got one like that. They're good for 100 watts. Uh, that's not good for a kilowatt. So um, I, like, uh, I like resonant antennas. You can pump some power into a resonant antenna, you know. And uh, I do have an MFJ uh, 1.5 kilowatt auto tuner out uh, at the antenna farm that I'm feeding some open line with. It goes up about 90 feet to my uh, extended double ZEP antenna. And I can actually, uh, for 40 meters, but I can actually tune that on any band with that, that tuner. But uh, I, I do love uh, resonant antennas. Yep, there are only two or three uh, um, um antenna tuners that are full legal in the world and the mfj is one of them and yeah it's pretty good but i agree you know if, if you if you don't want to spend your money on multiple tuners then uh, it's a good idea to have the resonant antennas it's, it's also directionality is tough because then you have to have rotors so yeah. one thing you can do is if you have more resonant antennas even ones like the hamstick dipole that i made um, you can have multiple ones for each band and switch between them yeah and it's not too expensive because the ham sticks that I use for this antenna, I bought for about $15 each at a ham fest. They are really cheap. And so uh, you can have a lot of them. All yeah, right. Well, hey, oh, go ahead, Glenn. Okay. I was going to say, and something that we talked about in the pre-show, you're not limited to just a dipole. You know, I blue screen, so I had to reboot. So I don't know yeah. if you mentioned that, Brett. Um, but you can take those ham sticks and uh, JMR sales for a while had one for 20 meters that used four of those two of them were used as the director and two were the reflector and created you a little portable 20 meter beam out of the ham sticks mm -hmm. and uh, i haven't yet tried mine but it's a cool concept and i really like the idea of using the ham sticks for this because they're just so versatile yeah i have no idea how big that would be um so i don't know if it'd be very portable or what the calculation is for how much you have to extend the stingers on your reflector they actually provided measurements for you uh, on a sheet. So, I mean, it, it's just a standard 20-meter stick. So, you know, tune it up just, a, you know, an inch or two and down an inch or two. So it's, it's about the same size as a standard 20-meter ham stick. All right. Well, hey, uh, Brett, uh, great presentation. We need maybe yeah. next week we need another one on something. Have you got time to put something together? I think I do. Um, okay. Maybe next week I'll, I'll do something which uh, um, people have asked about uh, on a couple of YouTube uh, YouTube webcasts that I've seen. Uh, I think we're doing uh, something about power over Ethernet. That'd be that... cool. That's cool. And, okay. uh, you know, um, power over Ethernet. 
Yep, and that's yeah, going to as, yeah. as we have more and more systems like the uh, like the IC seven hundred five. As, as it, no, actually, sorry, what was that? The net seven nine hundred five. I know five, which uh, which are working up in the microwave region. More yeah. and more of these things are going to be powered by the Ethernet connections that connect them back to the shack. So this is yeah. going to become more relevant. Mm -hmm. It's already very relevant relevant to Wisps. It's going to become more relevant to Ham soon. I, I assume the uh, power over Ethernet, and I've, I've used it here with some various different uh, uh, access points and different things. Uh, uh, I assume the internal workings is kind of like a bias T that you'd use on coax, but it's just used on probably a couple of the, the unused wires in your your Cat5 or whatever, Cat5, mm -hmm. Cat6. Well, it's a little bit of both. It uses both unused wires and fan, what you call phantom power, which is where you send DC. Mm -hmm. um, you send DC along with the AC, and then you separate them at the ends. Okay. You know, I, uh, I have a... Um, well, I have a uh, Verizon um, well, it's like an access point, but, but it's, it's, it's Wi-Fi and it has Ethernet on it, uh, but it operates off a SIM card, you know. Um, it's kind of like a hotspot, but it's just it's a you know, it's got several antennas on it. Just a big, it looks like a router box, you know, like a little uh, Wi-Fi router. Uh, and um, it's, it's powered. It's got four Ethernet jacks on the back. And, of course, uh, it's uh, it's got a power power connection here for, like, 12 volts or whatever. Uh, but I ordered some uh, little power over Ethernet converters. It's just a little Ethernet jack with a with a 12-volt little plug hanging out of it, and you put one on both ends, you know. You plug it into the 12 volts there, and you plug your 12-volt power pack in at the bottom down here, and it, it does what you're talking about. It sends that 12 volts uh, over the, I guess, the unused unused uh, pair uh, in your Ethernet. And the nice thing about that is I can tie that, uh, tie that up with a rope and throw it over a tree limb and bring that whole box up here about, you know, you know, about 40 feet in the air, where I can get a good, uh, a good uh, 4G signal, and and just bring a um, bring an Ethernet down, and uh, of course, there's my connection and power. Yep, and Wisps do that too. Since I'm a Wisp, I, I do that a lot. We have uh, we, we we'll put a radio on someone's roof, and the power injector, as it's called, down at the bottom. And it'll use the unused pairs if it's 100 megabits per second. If there's mm -hmm. a gigabit link up to the top, you don't have any spare pairs anymore. Right. So then right. you have to go to. So then you have to go to phantom power. And well, Ethernet always has transformers, and you know I can go into this more in the presentation. But there yeah. are transformers that just isolate your Ethernet, and that's just uh, basically to keep things from being blown out by static, and also yeah. you know also to prevent ground loops, and uh, well. Those transformers, you can you can uh, feed voltage into the center tap and take it out from the center tap at the other end, and so even if you've got gigabit Ethernet going up there, you can still find you can still get DC through without without messing up the data. Well, that'd be cool to uh, hear what you have to tell us. Uh, that'll be that'll be a good one. So maybe next week we can talk about that. Uh, hey, let me give a, let's, let me give everybody an update uh, as we're running out of time here. We're just about time. Let me give everybody an update here on W5KB113, guys. Real quick, uh, hey, uh, you guys following W5KB113, 
You know, we've been up 398 days, I think, now, still flying. Our altitude is still what it was uh, on, on launch day, uh, pretty much. You can see right there, we're just right off the coast of uh, Africa, uh, west western coast of Africa there. We made about 24 trips around the world. The first four were in the northern hemisphere. It's very unusual to, to change and go to a, to a different hemisphere. Uh, this balloon did it. Uh, it went across, uh, you can see there, it went across uh, uh, Africa and went down to the hem hem southern hemisphere and it flew there for about 20 trips around the world. And just this past week, it has gone back and gone above the, the equator and we're back now in the northern hemisphere. So we hope to get a whole bunch of red lines around the top up here in the north. And uh, here's the prediction, the latest prediction that uh, we've got right now. Uh, it's going to, um, looks like it's going to go uh, probably heading for Egypt here. In about uh, two to three days, we should be over Egypt. And we'll probably go, you know, right across the Middle East here, uh, probably. And that's going to be, uh, that's going to be an inter interesting flight to see if we can make it around the world in the Northern Hemisphere now. And uh, 113 has done well. It's just about, it went through one hurricane off the coast of uh, of uh, Mexico and didn't come down and it came very near to another hurricane that was out near Puerto Rico here recently so uh, I don't know there's some obstacles out there but it's hanging in there 390 something days um, who knows we hey, hey we may be talking about this a year from now I'd like to see it fly for two years but uh, it's very unusual most uh, most of the pico balloons that are, are flying uh, uh, are pretty short-lived one month, two months, three months, you know, make it around the world, you know, a few times. So something's going on with this one. I don't know what it is, uh, but uh, it's, uh, it's, it's hanging in here. So anyway, hey, we're just about out of time here. And uh, just want to thank everybody for tuning in to the show tonight and watching uh, the show and joining us. And we'll uh, see you next week. Uh, we, we appreciate you being with us. Thank you so much, and good night, and save me three to everybody, and good night to everybody out there on shortwave. Good night. And let's see, I got, thought I had, uh, I was going to put old Glenn on here. Yeah, I'm going to put on Glenn <laughs> here. I'm going to put Glenn on here. So you're saying I can ask this cat any question? The cat is connected to the computer. You just type in the question. You're the man! I've been looking for this for weeks. Alright, that's Glenn and his cats right there. Alright guys, good night everybody out there. We're gonna go ahead and shut the show down. Yeah. At three.